Christmas is a wonderful time, isn't it? I enjoy it. I have a birthday around Christmas, and uh, that's good and bad. It's bad because um, people like to combine. You know, two for one. Here's your birthday and Christmas gift. I don't mind. Just don't wrap my... Those of you that have birthdays around Christmas, raise your hand. Don't wrap our birthday presents in Christmas paper. That's just our big thing, right? So, isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? But Christmas is wonderful because I like it because you can walk through a store and hear the gospel. Uh, they're playing Christmas songs, Christmas carols. Uh, we, we sing songs like the first Noel. The first Noel. Noel actually means a Christmas carol or even a shout for joy. Uh, I remember we were having a staff meeting and we were discussing a new little baby that had entered into the world. One of our staff families had a little child and I had learned um, as the, they were announcing the child's birth, they uh, named it Shiloh and they said that they had been in Israel on our, one of our tours and we had visited Shiloh and, and the couple had been wanting a child and praying for a child. So they prayed for a child in Shiloh. And you, if you know your Bible, you know that's happened before. And this little girl was born to the day of that prayer, uh, Israel time, a year later. And so we were discussing this and, and we're really excited about it. And I said, you know, what's, what's her full name? And they said, Shiloh Noel. I'm like, how do you spell Shiloh without an L? Wouldn't that be shy? Oh, and they laughed and laughed and laughed at me. Now, what would you do if you had a staff that just laughed at you? Shiloh Noel. Noel. I love that. Uh, I love that name. I love the name Noel. Now, they spelled it different than you would spell Noel for the song Noel, but I guess that's the feminine version of, anyways, whatever. Noel, the first Noel. Do you all like that song? Um, let's read through the lyrics. The first Noel, the angels did say, was to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay. In fields where they lay, keeping their sheep on a cold winter's night that was so deep. They looked up and saw a star shining in the east beyond them far. And to the earth it gave great light. And so it continued both day and night. And by the light of that same star, three wise men came from country far. To seek for a king was their intent and to follow the star where'er it went. Then let us with all, with one accord, sing praises to our heavenly Lord that hath made heaven and earth of naught, of nothing. And with his blood, mankind hath bought. Noel, born is the king of Israel. And so I love Christmas songs, especially that one. That one is very deep, actually. It has a lot of meaning and significance. It's, it's a song that uh, is head and shoulders above most modern Christian songs, isn't it? And they play this in the mall. They play this in the stores. And I love that. I love that about Christmas. Might be one of the favorite things that I, that I have about Christmas is the gospel is in the public sphere. Why is Christmas such a shout for joy? Well, because we live in a dark world. We live in a, a world that is 
increasingly wicked and violent. And we're saddened by what is happening. So Christmas gives us a bright light that, that starts to dispel the darkness. The shout for joy, this Noel, has been predicted. You know, a lot of people are hopeful for better times, but the Bible actually tells us there are better times to come. It tells us. So, so that, that's one of the things I love about the Bible is it gives us details about the future. Now, that means if the Bible predicts the future and the Bible has gotten it right, two-thirds of the prophecies in the book have been fulfilled exactly as predicted. I mean, astoundingly accurate prophecies. Little things, big things. The rise and fall of empires. Got it right, Daniel. Uh, little things like a virgin will conceive. I mean, it's not a little thing, but it's one person and it happened, okay? So the Bible's two-thirds of prophecies have been fulfilled, but that also means the other third that hasn't been fulfilled will be. You want to read what those are mostly uh, in Revelation 4 through the end of the, the book. So the Bible was telling and predicting and prophesying that a Savior was coming. A Savior is coming. A Savior is coming. Now, some people in Israel during the time of when Jesus came, they weren't looking. They were all caught up with tradition. They were all caught up in uh, what the, the rabbis were teaching instead of what God has clearly said. That's why I tell all of our Jewish friends and really all of us to go back to the Bible. Let's, let's find out what God has said. And so, but there were some. There were some that knew the scriptures. There were some that were anticipating the Savior, the, the coming of Christmas, let's say. And salvation did come in Luke 2. We read this in verse 10. And the angel said unto them, this is the uh, really the lyric of the first Noel, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Noel, shout for joy which shall be to all people. That to me is important too. This isn't a, a good message. This isn't just good news for the Jews or just the Gentiles, for those with light skin or those with dark skin. This is good news for all people. All people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, what is the city of David? Well, the city of David, uh, there's, there's actually two. One is the, is, is the, where Jerusalem began. It's, it's where the, the Jebusites had a city. Melchizedek was there. The king of Salem, Jer Jerusalem. Uh, and then David took it over. David conquered Jerusalem, the city of David. And that's where he built his palace and lived. And Jerusalem has expanded from that day. But the city of David here, is referring to the city where David was born. Unto you is born this day in the city of David. Angels are telling the shepherds this. A Savior. A Savior. Which is Christ. Christ is the Latinized Christos uh, version of Messiah. So when you say Christ, you're not saying Jesus' last name. You're saying Jesus Messiah. Yeshua Messiah. Mashiach is how they would say it in Hebrew, which is Christ the Lord. And so we need some joy. 
in this desperate world, don't we? I remember taking our two girls when they were young shopping for each other's Christmas presents. And it was just a, a thing. I don't even know how we started it, but we all got into our car. We went to the mall. A mall is those things that used to have all those stores before Amazon. <clears throat> and we would walk along and Karen would take one, I'd take the other. And we'd try to like keep separate so that the other one wouldn't know what they had bought the other one. It was, it was tricky. It was really tricky, especially when we got back in the car. But somehow we, we pulled it off year after year. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Christmas tradition, Christmas shopping. And <clears throat> one year while I was walking, I don't remember which daughter I had, we came across a kiosk in the middle of the mall and there were some people selling Dead Sea skin products. And we were very familiar with the Dead Sea uh, skincare products and lotions and all that. It's really good stuff. Uh, not that I use it, certainly don't. But as you can tell, I probably should. But anyways, uh, and I was starting to talk to them and I find out from their accent that they're from Israel. And they would come to the U.S. and they would set up their pop-up uh, little shops and be selling Dead Sea um, products. And, and it, we just had a great conversation talking about Israel, talking about the Dead Sea and, and all of that. And I started to share with this young lady the gospel that, that there is hope in this world. And, and this was, I don't know, it had to be 20 years ago when we had this conversation. She said this to me. She said, Pastor, I don't see a day when we'll ever have peace in Israel. She said that to me. 20 years ago, what would she say to me today? Peace, peace, where is, where is the peace? And, and so there are desperate times, right? We are in desperate times. We need joy, we need hope. And, and those that have found the true story of Christmas as predicted in the Bible, we do have that hope. We do have that peace. We can sing joy to the world, the Lord has come. We can talk about the Savior is born in Bethlehem. And in the Bible, we read about people that were anticipating this. Not everybody, but there were some people looking for the Messiah. The Bible had predicted it. Some of the predictions were vague. Some were really obvious. But there were some people looking. One, his name was Simeon. And we read about Simeon in Luke chapter 2. When Jesus was born, there was a commandment for the, the couple to bring the child to offer a sacrifice if it was the first male child, which obviously Jesus would have been. And so they come to Jerusalem. They come to the temple in Jerusalem, which of course was standing then. It was it was Zerubbabel's temple, the rebuilt temple after Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it. Herod uh, made it uh, more grand. He it really embellished it and, and made the temple mount huge. So that was the temple that they went to, to offer the sacrifice. And it says in verse 24 of Luke 2, to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, the sacrifice also could have been an animal, but for the poor people, God had allowed them to offer birds as a sacrifice. And that tells us then that Jesus was born into a poor family. I, I'm amazed at that. Like, this is, this is God who created everything, was born into a poor family. 
poor family. The Bible actually says Jesus had no place to lay his head. You know, these prosperity preachers are off track, for folks. They're off track. Because does God want you to be rich? Not necessarily. I'm not saying God wants you to be poor, but don't think that somehow being wealthy is somehow being godly. It might not be. We don't know. I mean, you should work hard. You should be honest. But in what God does is fine, as long as you're giving to the Lord. But they were poor. And they offered. And by the way, this also tells us that not only did Jesus keep the law, but his parents did, and that helped him fulfill all of the law and the prophets. So they were doing everything the Bible had said to do. In verse 25, behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. I underline that. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? He understood the Bible's predictions about Christmas. Obviously, it wasn't called Christmas, but that, that there is the coming of the Messiah. He, he knew about that. He, ha, he knew the scriptures and he believed the scriptures and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Christmas was predicted. There are prophecies of Christmas in the Bible. And it also says the Holy Ghost was upon him, which wasn't in, in every person's situation at that time. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah. Wouldn't that be wonderful if, if God told you something? Hey, you know, uh, you're going you're gonna to be alive when Jesus comes back or something like that. Wouldn't that be wonderful? We had a funeral yesterday here and uh, the brother of one of our pastors. And uh, I had a lady say, um, you know, the rapture is coming today. And so she could see her brother today. We don't want to wait, do we? And it would be great if the Lord told us that, but uh, if the Lord has told you, let, let me know. Uh, I might question if you had too many onions or something like that, but either way. Verse 27, and he came by the Spirit. He really did hear from the Holy Ghost. He came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus, Jesus would have just been a little teeny infant, to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he up in his arms, you could just imagine the scene, and blessed God and said, okay, and I love these words, and I give you all of them, but this is the beginning of his words. Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. In other words, I can die now. I can die now. He was so happy. He had waited and waited and waited his whole life. And centuries had passed since this had been predicted and promised. And people were waiting, and they haven't even heard from God for years in Israel. It says, now you can let me die. For I, he said in verse 29, the Lord now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Light had been finally burst upon the scene of this dark world that was suffering and waiting and longing for the Messiah. And there were many Jews like Simeon that were watching and hoping and praying and, and looking for the promised Messiah. And even some Gentiles, by the way, some Gentiles were actually looking for the coming of the Messiah. I love this. In Numbers 24, this is a really interesting passage. It really 
several chapters here in Numbers. In verse 17, this is a wicked prophet. You say, well, why is a wicked prophet, wicked prophet's prophecy in the Bible? Because his prophecy was from God and it was good. It was right. Okay, I'll explain a little bit more about Balaam. But anyways, Balaam said this to the wicked king of Moab that hated Israel. There's a lesson there, okay? The king wanted him to curse Israel, and over three times he blessed Israel instead. This is what God brought out of his mouth. He was actually not even as smart as the donkey that he was riding. And you can, again, read that in Numbers. And this is his prophecy in verse 17 of Numbers 24. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. So anyway, there, there's this, this, this person's coming, but not yet. He's coming, but, but not, not right now. There shall be, come a star out of Jacob. A star out of Jacob, that's Israel. Remember, Jacob's name was turned to, changed to Israel. This is a prophecy in the time of the children of Israel about to come into the land. And... A scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheath. Okay? So this is a prediction of a Messiah that's coming, a star that's coming, a scepter, a ruler, and that ruler is going to smite all the enemies of God, all the enemies of Israel. This is why we should only bless Israel. Only bless Israel. Do not curse Israel. I've heard people, pro-Palestinian protesters, that would not condemn Hamas, would not call Hamas terrorists. This is sick because Hamas is a terroristic, sick, barbaric group. And how could you not denounce them and, and, and stand with Israel? I don't understand this. But, but King David also predicted that this this one would arise, the star, the scepter uh, from Israel that would dominate the entire place. It says Psalm 72, 8, he shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. Now, there are people that are protesting Israel that are shouting from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free. They hopefully don't realize that that is a genocidic slogan. That is a, that means that they're saying Palestine, the Palestinians should have the whole entire thing from the Jordan to the Mediterranean. That means there's no Israel. That means that you're, you're pushing them into the sea. And that's the, the creed of Hamas. That's the creed of some of the Palestinian organizations and Hezbollah and, and others, Iran. So the opposite is actually going to happen, ultimately. The scepter, the star from Israel is going to eventually dominate all, okay? Now, not yet, but I think soon. I think soon. And, and I believe his name is Jesus. Israel has never possessed all the land that God has promised. But one day, one day they will. One day they will. 
Now, if you were to go to the end of the Bible in Revelation 22, I'm not going to give you this verse now, but you can look it up later. In verse 26, it talks about Jesus being the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Isn't that interesting? And how it ties together with this, this wicked prophet Balaam's prophecy. Don't curse Israel. And, and he, I think Balaam was trying to because he was trying to get gain from the king of Moab. But every time he opened his mouth, blessings came out for Israel. Don't be wicked Balaam. As a matter of fact, the New Testament several times, even Jesus mentions the uh, wickedness of Balaam. Now, not only were, you know, Simeon and Anna and others looking for this star, so were a, a, a group of Gentiles. And this is a really interesting part of the story of Christmas when it talks about the Magi coming from the east, looking for this king. How would they have known about it? How, where, where would they have read that? Well, I think it's as simple as this. Daniel, who was taken captive in the Babylonian captivity, became the chief Magi. And this was a group of learned men that studied many things, mathematics, but they also studied astronomy, and they were looking to the stars for guidance. And I think Daniel taught them that God created the heavens and the earth. The, the stars are without number. And uh, Daniel also would have, they would have had a copy of what he was uh, predicting. In Daniel 7.13, it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man come with the clouds of heaven and come to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. These are incredible predictions of the Messiah, of the one coming. Now, I believe that's the second coming, but the first coming also, I believe he referenced, and we'll talk about that at the end. So at the birth of Christ, something happened in the stars. Something happened in the sky. I don't know if it was an actual star. Some people have said it's a comet. Uh, what exactly? Here's my opinion on that, because the star moved exactly over the place where Jesus was, I think this is about a year later, in Bethlehem. And a star doesn't do that. Uh, comets don't do I think this was a supernatural light in the sky. This is my opinion on that. Anyway, anyways, these men, these Parthians, had known what Daniel said, and they were looking for the sign, and they saw the sign in the sky, and they knew to come to Israel. Because this was a, a star from Israel, a star, a scepter from Israel. How do we know that? Well, because in Matthew 2, it says in verse 1, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. The word wise men is one word, magi. And they came looking for the king because wouldn't you expect the king to be born in the capital of Israel? The king of Israel should be born in the capital of Israel. Now, Jesus wasn't born in the capital of Israel. He was born in a little teeny village just to the south of Israel. Pretty close. You could, you could walk there in half a day to Bethlehem, but he was born in Bethlehem. Why? Bethlehem had a ton of history in the Bible. The big thing is that's where David was born, okay? So if Jesus is a descendant of David predicted to be born in Bethlehem, that would make sense. But the, the Magi didn't know that. They came to Herod and they said in verse two, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Now, this... 
we kind of pass over this because we don't really understand the history of it. Remember the history of that time. Herod was the puppet king of Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was the ruler of all of the world, the Roman ruler. And Herod was really, he wasn't really a, a true Jew. And he was really worried about someone usurping his authority. And so when he hears these, these, these were like really uh, known and learned men and they would have had a big entourage. And we say these, there were three kings. We don't really know how many there were. Certainly would, there would have been more than three people because they would have all had a, had an entourage and protection and everything. There were three gifts. So that's why we say three kings. But they come and they said, where, where's this king? And we've seen a star in the east and we've, we've come to worship him. Well, obviously Herod uh, wasn't too happy to hear about all of this, was he? And so uh, we'll talk more about that in a second. So people, Gentiles and Jews were anticipating Christmas, anticipating the birth of the Messiah. They were looking, Simeon, Anna, the Jews, uh, the Magi, the Gentiles were all anticipating the star of Israel. Christmas is predicted. The Hebrew scriptures prophesied the coming of the Savior. Now, let's read some of those prophecies. In 2 Chronicles 6.16, we read that God had promised Solomon that a descendant of David, his father, would rule forever. It says uh, near the second half of the verse, there shall not fail thee a man in my sight to sit upon the throne of Israel. Isn't that interesting? And then, in Psalm 89, the promised one would have this kingly lineage. So he'd be the descendant of David. He would sit upon the David, a throne of David forever. Uh, Psalm 89, 34, it's talking about this covenant will I not break. God has given this promise, that unconditional promise, that a, a person from David's line would sit on the throne of David. Once I have sworn, verse 35, by my holiness that I will not lie unto David, his seed shall endure forever. These are promises. These are predictions of the coming of the Messiah. But year after year past, this promise that we just read in Psalm 89, a thousand years passed with nothing, no fulfillment. Where's the Messiah? Where's the promise? They're suffering under oppression of the Gentiles. Would the Messiah ever come? And then we come to the time of Mary and Joseph. They also were clinging to the promise of Christmas as Augustus uh, sends a decree out in all the world that it would be taxed, uh, accounted, the census for taxes. And uh, Joseph was a carpenter, but he was also a direct heir of David. Isn't that interesting? The Jewish throne had sat in ashes for for 580 years by this time, God had even been communicating with Israel. You know, uh, we, we, when we read the Hebrew scriptures, there's a lot there, right? A lot of prophets, Moses and everybody. But then there's nothing from the last book of the Hebrew scriptures until the, uh, the time of the New Testament. It's been years. It's been years of silence. Has God forgot his promise? Is the promise not coming? But people still believed, right? Simeon, Anna, Mary, Joseph, the Magi. Isaiah 53, 2 tells that, that this Messiah would come up out of dry ground as a tender plant out of the root of dry ground. Out of all of these years of silence, finally, 
this dry ground, finally comes the promise, the prediction. After 400 years of silence, Gabriel comes and announces to first to Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, and Elizabeth, that they would bear a son in their old age, fulfilling Malachi's prophecy. Malachi 3.1, look at this one. Behold, I will send my messenger. He shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Prediction after prediction. There's going to be one coming that will prepare the way of the Messiah. It all fits, doesn't it? It all fits. And then when Elizabeth was six months pregnant with the one that would be called John the Baptist, God sends Gabriel again to Mary. Mary is a virgin. She's espoused or betrothed to Joseph, which was a contract. It was like an elevated engagement. They had not known each other physically. But the angel said, you're going to be with child. And Mary, this woman of humility, this woman of faith, immediately submits to the will of God. And then we read her song in Luke 1:46. Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Verse 54, he hath hoped or helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. So finally, finally, the predicted Messiah is coming. Christmas was predicted as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. So Mary and Joseph would have known the promise of Christmas, the promise of the coming of the Messiah. They would have known in Genesis 3.15, there was this curse put upon the serpent, but the offspring of the woman is going to bruise the head of the serpent, the devil. So there's a promise. It's vague, but it's there. So we know that this, this Messiah is going to be born of a woman, a virgin. It was predicted in Isaiah that she would be a virgin. This promise was clearly made to Abraham in Genesis twenty two eighteen, And in this, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So we have these promises, these predictions. They were looking for the hope of Israel. Isaiah 42, 6. I, the Lord, hath called thee in righteousness and will hold thy hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Prediction after prediction of hope, light coming, the star rising from Israel. And those that knew the Hebrew scriptures would know not only that the Messiah be born of a woman who was a virgin, to be a king from David, a star of Israel, but they also would have known from the predictions when he would come and where he would come. This is astounding. This really blows people away when they start to understand this. In Daniel 9, there's a, a, a interesting prophecy. We call it the 70 weeks of Daniel. And we have whole sermons about this. You can look at our prophecy series that we do. But I'll just boil it down. Daniel 9, 25 through 26 talks about the coming of Messiah the Prince. And the coming of Messiah the Prince will come at a certain time after the command to go and restore Jerusalem. There was a command by Artaxerxes Longjumaeus, one of the kings at the time that were allowing after the 70-year captivity from the Babylonians for people to go back, like Nehemiah, to rebuild the city. 
Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple. And this prophecy, if you'll go through the math on it, basically gives 483 years from that time of the decree to the coming of Messiah the Prince. Well, if you just look at history and look for 483 years after the decree, and we, we, we make an adjustment for prophetic years, 360-day years, and so on and so forth, it, it lands exactly on the day Jesus entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Okay, so, I mean, these are incredible. The timing of the Messiah is given in the scriptures. Now, it's helpful to look back because we, we can pick up on some clues that they might not have been able to see, but uh, it's there. Now, how about, the, how about the place? Where is the Messiah going to be born? This is really hard to predict, especially hundreds of years before it happens. Micah 4, in verse 8, it says, O tower of the flock, the strongholder of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall come even the first dominion The kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. In our big Christmas pageant that we do here at Quinton Road Baptist Church, we have what we call the Tower of the Flock. And I believe this is the tower Micah's referring to that was in Bethlehem. Very possibly the birthplace of King David was the Tower of the Flock, the birthplace of the sacrificial sheep possibly, and the birthplace of Jesus and then in Micah 5, 2, it says, But thou Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be what? Ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old and from everlasting. We have here not only the prediction of the timing of the coming of the Messiah, but we also have exactly pinpoint accuracy where he will be born. This is incredible, folks. This is incredible. How do we know that That's a prediction of where the Messiah would be born. Well, when the Magi came to Herod, remember we just read about that in Matthew, Herod was worried, so he asked all of the scribes and chief priests to go and figure this out for him. So they all went back and probably reread, maybe some of them knew it, the scriptures, and they came back to him and said, Bethlehem of Judea, which is Bethlehem Ephratah. There's two Bethlehems. There's one in the north, one in just to the south of Jerusalem. They quoted Micah. And so they kind of knew they weren't looking. Uh, Simeon, though, was waiting for the consolation. The Magi were watching for the star. Mary and Joseph, humble and faithful, yearning, wanting the Messiah to come. All these years of darkness and pain and suffering and, and oppression is finally broken when the star of Bethlehem arises. Christmas was predicted The Messiah would come from a woman who was a virgin. That would be a king from David that will rule on David's throne forever. A star of Israel to be born around 483 years after the Babylonian return. To be predicted by a messenger to be born in Bethlehem. The prophecies of Christmas amaze me. Therefore, if Christmas was predicted, God knows the future. The birth of the Messiah is a great reason to sing Noel. Noel. A shout of praise. A carol of Christmas. The first Noel. Now let me ask you this question. As I already said, the prophecy of Balaam and the other prophecies that we read talk about this eternal kingdom where all rebellion will be put down. There's going to be one person sitting on the throne of David in Jerusalem physically. That day is coming. I'm convinced of it. So let me ask you this question. 
Have you been looking for the Savior? Are you looking for the Savior? Maybe you've already found the Savior. I found the Savior. Have you found the Savior? Maybe you didn't even know where to look, but today you just, you just saw with your own eyes a book that is really, really old has incredible details. Okay? So maybe you didn't even know where to look, but now you do. And let me just tell you this. The Bible's very clear that we all have sinned and we all need a Savior. Even Mary was a good woman. She wasn't immaculately conceived, by the way. That's nowhere in the scripture. She needed a Savior too. She needed, now the virgin birth broke the sin nature. Jesus had no sin nature, but she was a sinner just like we are. She needed to put her faith in her son, her physical son, the son of God, the star of Bethlehem. And so do you, and so do I. And it's a lot of people think, think I have to be religious. I have to be, I have to be better at attending church. And listen, I think you should be better at attending church. I think we should always be in church anytime we can, but that's not how you're saved. That's how you grow. That's how you serve because that's how you keep your relationship close with the Lord. But but to be saved, we can't save ourselves. We can't do anything about it. Jesus came and paid for our sins, all of them. And if you'll believe in him, the Bible says you will have everlasting life. In John 3, in verse 16, the, Jesus says this to a religious man. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, believeth in him, should not perish, and that's how, but have everlasting life, which is heaven. It's a simple message. Jesus actually said you need to become as a child to understand this. Why? Because adults, we want to we wanna do something. You know, somebody gives you something nice. Uh, hey, thank you. I'm going to return the favor. That's not a gift, you know? Uh, here, let me, let me give you something for that. That's not a gift. A gift is something that somebody presents to you that they've bought, that they know you need or want or, or maybe not. I don't know. But, but God knew we needed this gift. And he presents, he's like holding this out as a gift to you right now, which is eternal life. What do you have to do to be saved? Take it. Believe that Jesus died for your sins, paid for all of your sins and rose again. That's it. It's by grace that we're saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a what? Gift of God. Gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The gift of Christmas, the greatest gift of Christmas is eternal life. Uh, let me show you this. Let my left hand represent all of us, and this uh, wallet represents sin. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. My right hand, Jesus, he is perfect. He never sinned. Our sin separates us from him, but he loves us. He has to do something about this, so he comes and dies for our sin. Rises again. He is for sure God. How do we know? Because he rose again. Okay, and, and if you will believe in him, watch what happens. If you'll trust in him, you're putting your hand of faith in his outstretched hand, he wants to save you. He's already paid for your sin. And if you'll just accept that, you are in the hand of God. And he will never lose you or forsake you. He'll never let go. No man is able to pluck you out of the hand of God, not even yourself. You have eternal life. You're born again. And that's great news. That's great news. That's the news of Christmas. And I hope you put your faith in Jesus. If you haven't, do it right now.